This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Before we get started, let me take a second to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. It's free, and it's the best way to get every new episode as it comes out. Subscribe in your favorite podcasting app and tell a friend. I'd like to take you inside some conversations I had recently. They were both at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in March of 2019, with two special guys who are going to tell us about their lives and their ministries. We'll start with this one. Yeah, my name is Hormoz Shariad. I'm the president of Iran Alive. That's a ministry reaching out to Muslims in the Middle East with the gospel. They use media to reach out to Muslims in Iran, satellite television, social media, and the internet. Uh, countries like Iran are totally closed to the gospel and the government does not allow any local broadcast. Internet is controlled. So the best is to use satellite television to go over the heads of the mullahs into people's homes in Iran and share the gospel. His ministry beams in programming via satellite from outside the country, which allows his team to work around the Iranian government's restrictions. By the way, Iran is open to the gospel. Millions of Iranians have rejected Islam and very open to hearing the message of the gospel. So we see a lot of results. That surprised me. They've rejected Islam? Apparently, it's happened slowly over time. It took 40 years. Iran is the only country in the world led by clergy, and that for 40 years. So 40 years of implementation of Islam, people of Iran have looked at it and they said, this is Islam. Islam uh, has, we have lived Islam for 40 years and it doesn't work, it's not the truth. It has destroyed our lives, it has destroyed our society. So the rejection of Islam in Iran is not an emotional overnight thing. It's a, it's a very deliberate and uh, uh, very educated decision. It took 40 years for that journey of millions of Iranians coming upon and knowingly, knowingly they're rejecting Islam. 40 years of war and inflation is at 40%. The national currency has lost 70% of its value in the last year, all under theocratic rule. If a country is run by the clergy and life inside is not going well, people will turn against their religion. For that reason, the tide of public opinion may be changing in Iran. Still, Iran is a terrible place to be a Christian right now. Open Doors, a ministry that follows religious persecution, ranked Iran as the ninth worst place to be a Christian in the world. There have been raids on house churches and insulting the Prophet Muhammad is a capital crime. Yet Christianity Today reported this year that Iran is home to one of the fastest growing churches in the world. There's a growing hunger there for the gospel. Hermos himself used to be a Muslim. I asked him, what made the difference 
in his life. Yeah, it was a journey. I was a devout Muslim in my early years, but when I got to teenage years, I said, this Islam is not doing much for me. Let me focus on studies. So I focused on science and degrees. He went to the University of Southern California to study artificial intelligence. And uh, as I was uh, thinking, maybe Islam is truth and maybe I should dedicate my life to serving it. But I said, I don't want to do it out of emotion. Let me study it. I studied the Quran one more time and I realized there's not much there that they can touch my life. Out of my intellectual pride, I said, I'm going to read the Bible. I don't think I'm going to find anything new because Islam is the last and most complete religion. But when I started reading the Bible, I said, no, this is, this is different than Islam. This is different than Quran. He set out to read the Bible in three days. Three months later, he was in the book of Matthew struggling with Jesus. Eventually, I realized the message of the gospel is so simple. Uh, it's not complicated as uh, I was trying to make it complicated. And that simple message, I believed, my life was changed. It is a pretty simple message. All of us have sinned against God and deserve punishment for that sin. But Jesus paid the price for all of us. If we trust in him, we are saved from God's wrath. That gift is available to all of us whether we grew up atheist, Catholic, Muslim, Buddhist, or Christian. And it doesn't stop there. We can now have joy because we have a relationship with God. And speaking of joy... Okay, is this camera or just... Um, there's no camera, it's no all camera. <laughs> Okay. This is Sammy, the other person I spoke with at NRB about Islam. And he's a bundle of joy. Uh, my name is Sammy Tanagu. And uh, I written a book published by Moody, uh, Glad News, God Loves You, My Muslim Friend. Sammy talks kind of fast, so you may have missed it. His book is called Glad News, God Loves You, My Muslim Friend. It's available in 12 languages, and it's an easy-to-read book that answers questions Muslims might have about Christianity. Sammy grew up in Egypt. Uh, my father, uh, defense lawyer, my grandfather, defense lawyer. So I uh, worked as a defense lawyer in my father's legal firm. He was a defense lawyer. His job was to defend people who were accused of a crime. And it wasn't long before he realized something troubling about his clients. They were criminals and drug dealers. And uh, all of them were guilty. <laughs> so I did it for two years, helped the... Uh, uh, guilty people to become innocent, get out of prison, and then God convicted me uh, through Hebrew 11, uh, the life of Moses, because I used to tell God, what can I do? This is my job. I can't leave my father. I don't even know uh, what to do if I left my father. And then God told me, Moses, by faith, left Egypt, and he preferred to suffer affliction uh, with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He had to choose between money and a career and pleasing God. He could walk by faith, like Moses, who also had to leave Egypt. So I left Egypt by faith, 1980, came to America, started working in a gas station and uh, busboy, dishwasher. All so he could support himself while he was studying for the California bar exam. His family pushed him to stay in the legal profession. His brother was the chief justice of the Supreme Court of Egypt. That's kind of a lot to live up to. Before he could become a lawyer though, he had to convince his wife. Hala uh, became born again while studying to become a Muslim teacher and Arabic teacher in uh, 
Egypt, uh, one of the most uh, prestigious Islamic Al-Azhar University in Cairo. Uh, and then she started talking about Jesus, and uh, before they threw her in prison, one of the PhD Muslim professors who was investigating her, her case became born again, because she told them, I have no motive to lie, I am telling you. I used to pray five times, I felt God is very far from me, but now, uh, as soon as I put my faith in Jesus and received Jesus in my heart, I know God forgave all my sins and God is my heavenly father. She was thrown into prison with three other ex-Muslim ladies, where they started singing together and praying. And the Muslim prisoners came to them and told them, why you are singing? There is nothing to sing about here. The place is filthy, smell is horrible, and you are in big trouble, especially you. And they told them, we are singing because we enjoy God's presence. And if they killed us, Jesus is going to reward us for sacrificing our lives for him. So some of the Muslim prisoners became uh, believers in Jesus Christ. By a miracle through connections with a powerful television broadcaster, she was released. And she joined Sammy in California in 1991. He was still working towards his license. She told Sammy, I, The Muslim people are deceived. My family are deceived. My brother is deceived. And you told me you want to help Muslims to know Jesus. Forget about the California bar exam and the practicing law. I told her, but, you know, we're going to be very poor all our lives. I'm a waiter. I've been studying English and law for <laughs> many years now. It's about time I get back my career. She said, no, it's about time you pray. Find out what God wants you to do. Because that's what I want. I want to marry someone who wants to discover what God wants him to do and do it. You need to pray. Don't listen to your family. Don't listen to logic or reason or prestige or making money. Uh, listen to, I told her, but if I work as a lawyer, we're going to have money. We can do the ministry. No, God will be glorified even through uh, David, a shepherd, through Gideon. This is not biblical. Basically, God can be glorified by even really humble people. He doesn't need us to be rich in order to do his work. So Sammy prayed like his wife asked him to. So I was praying, you know, thinking that she is wrong for sure. I discovered that she is right. God told me, yes, why do you consider it a waste to love me with all your mind? Sammy gets the inspiration to write a book. One that would answer questions that Muslim people, his friends, his family, might have about Jesus. And then I was talking to an American lady and she said, I have a bunch of friends from Saudi Arabia. I used to work for a weapon dealer and, uh, you know, run a huge house in Hollywood. I want to give them your book. That sounded great, but the book was on his computer. They found $5,000 to print a few copies and... And uh, we started getting testimonies, Muslims are coming to Christ. After reading his book, they read it and their lives were changed. After a few starts and stops, Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel got him lined up to speak at a pastor's conference, which snowballed into another conference and then another. This was before 9-11. Sammy got lots of emails, some of which he carried with him to our interview. He shuffled through his papers and showed me one from the stack. It was from a guy who worked for Voice of the Martyrs. They're an organization that, among other things, collects and tells the stories of people killed for their Christian faith. This email said that Sammy's book was making waves in Africa. The email said, Your book has made the Mauritanian news. 
So the Mauritanian government discovered that many Muslims, after they read the book, they start reading the Bible with open heart and they start understanding the word of God and then they become born again. So they put a copy of the Arabic Bible in the newspaper, major newspaper. He sent it to my iPhone and a copy of the book in Arabic. And they warned the Muslim people in Mauritania and North Africa not to read these two books, giving me a free advertisement. <laughs> I was jumping. I said, great, I'm going to put the book in the website <laughs> in Arabic and Farsi. That way, people from across the world could get his book for free off of his site and in their own language. Sammy got stacks of testimonial emails. His book and ministry were picking up steam. Now, remember, Sammy had been poor all of this time, working low-wage jobs. He and his wife were offered better careers, but she kept telling him to turn them down because they were not supposed to be comfortable. They were preparing for the ministry for a decade, preparing for some moment when God would open the door. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Then 9-11 happened, a time when a lot of Americans turned against Muslims and grew afraid. Chuck Smith, the pastor who helped him with his book, put Sammy on the radio in front of 400 different stations. There was Sammy, this immigrant who wrote a book broadcasting across the country on the radio. That may not seem significant, but it was a bold move for the time. In late 2001, Americans were angry at Muslims. We'd been attacked. People felt raw. And it's far easier to hate somebody than to pray for them. Instead of drumming up fear of Islam, Sammy was on the radio sharing how to explain the gospel to Muslims. God had him give up his career so that Sammy could use his legal training to build a logical argument for the gospel. Here's why I wanted to share these conversations with you. After 9-11, American Christians transitioned from wanting to share the gospel with Muslims to now being afraid of them. Airplanes hit those buildings, but fear is what really struck us. We changed from taking the gospel to everyone to fearing what those outsiders might do to us. I asked for Moses' opinion on this one. Should Christians be afraid of Islam? Well, it's a wrong reaction to the truth. The truth is that Islam is a violent religion, that Muslims are called to take over the world whatever it takes with violence. And from the day one with the Prophet Muhammad, it started. He said that not all Muslims are violent, just those who follow the scriptures literally. And it may be worth noting that while our New Testament doesn't advocate violence, we Christians 
have a long history of it anyway. We'll go into that more in the future. And, by the way, we're not alone. Buddhism has a history of violence. I mean, look at the recent genocide in Myanmar. As does atheism, especially when tied to communism. History demonstrates that basically every people group is guilty of violence. So, how are we going to react to violent Islamic actions? Are we going to get angry? Fight back? Invade? Use the cross to persecute people? Maybe block ourselves from ever having to come in contact with a Muslim person? Here is Hermaz again. And sometimes I challenge. May I challenge your listeners now? Yes, because please. that's my challenge. You know, spirit of Islam is a spirit of fear, a hatred, and violence. So if us Christians, they're afraid of Muslims, they, we hate them, or we want to destroy them using violence, may I say we are submitting to the spirit of Islam, and we need to get rid of it. God loved the world, that includes Muslims. And if we have God's heart, we should love Him, and we should, love doesn't mean approval, but love brings connection. Love means I value you. you you're valuable to God and to me. Your salvation is important to me. And uh, love has the greatest power. There is no love in Islam, so one thing we have as Christians that they don't is our love. We can choose to be afraid which is submitting to the spirit of Islam, or you can react in love, which is the command of Christ. I also asked Sammy if our American fears of Islam are justified. And that's what Satan managed to do. Uh, Satan managed to use the terrorist attack and war between Muslims and the Westerners, you know, which started long time ago. Uh, Crusaders, colonial period, Iraq war, Afghanistan, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and of course, uh, all of us are pro-Americans. We love America. America is the greatest country, and the most Christian leaders, of course, are 100%, you know, uh, pro-Israel. So Satan used our uh, political convictions and our human uh, response and uh, our human feelings and the natural way we react to world events. And he managed successfully to penetrate our hearts and minds and to put negative feelings and thoughts. Why? Because he knows if he can uh, put fear, suspicion, sometimes anger, hatred, uh, all these negative feelings in our hearts and minds, then we are not going to have the motive to invest our resources or time or energy to manifest God's love to Muslims and to share Jesus effectively with them. When I talk to Christians about Islam, I almost exclusively hear fear in their voices, fear of those people bringing Sharia law fear of more terrorist attacks, fear of war, which I understand. What I don't often hear is a focus on mission. Satan doesn't need us to purposefully shut Muslims out of our churches. He just needs to distract us from the true power of the gospel. He just has to make us forget that you and I were once enemies of God too. So let's talk about missions. The church leaders in America, Christian leaders and pastors, spend 
0.7% of the resources God gave them. They spent it, they spend it where the church already exists and healthy, America. Uh, you know, books, DVD, advertisement, radio, satellite, I mean, you name it. Even when they go to the Middle East, they just walk where Jesus walked. Well, we, we are actually called to walk by faith. I don't actually need to walk where Jesus walked. You can get a DVD and know where Jesus walked. I mean, you don't have to spend the 10 days and a few thousand dollars. And they spend 0.3% to expand the reach of the church, which we call them unreached people group. And the Muslims are the largest unreached people group in the world. Nobody reaches them effectively with the gospel. The church leaders and American ambassadors spend billions, trillions of dollars every year on so many things, but they don't spend 1% to share Jesus effectively with Muslims or equip their people to do it. So we, need, we can do better. <laughs> American churches spend the vast majority of our money reaching our own country. Think about the money your church spends on lights and music, handouts, youth groups, giant buildings, all to take care of us. Really, what do we do for others? See, we're very good at creating an us versus them mentality in our churches. And not just Christians versus Muslims, but Christians versus the culture, Christians versus politicians. More often than not, it's a distraction from our true calling to share the gospel, to make disciples. And every time I go to a church, I find them organizing a trip to Israel. And I tell them, great, you're going to go walk where Jesus walked. That's great. How about also walking as Jesus walked? How about also going to, not only to the Jews and hugging them and loving them, but also going to the Palestinians? Just take one day and hug them and give them glad news in Arabic. Can you even imagine a group of Christians on a tour of Israel taking time to share the gospel with Palestinians? Why does that seem so out of character for us? Family, we spend a lot of time hating people from our pulpits, on our radio shows, and in our news. There is a difference between being informed and being afraid. People in Jesus' time were murdered for their faith, and yet he told first century believers to love their enemies, the people who were hunting them down. If they were expected to love people who hated them in their own neighborhoods, why do we think we can get away with cursing people across the world? The theme we keep coming back to on this show is the power of the gospel, because we often forget it. We are not supposed to be a people in control, dictators, a theocracy. We're supposed to be on mission. But when we let Satan get us so afraid that we want to hide, we are denying our true calling. Not only that, but we open a door that allows politicians and corporations to abuse countries that we don't see as being as valuable as us. We Christians can't afford to spread fear. We are not a people who condemn. We are a people who share. I'll let Sammy close us out. We have the great commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and you have the great commission. 
<laughs> we cannot ignore these and waste you know, time and the precious resources uh, on side issues. I just want to clarify, are you saying that these politics are side issues? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, because that, that seems have, controversial. What do you how do you, what do you mean by that? I mean, uh, you know, many you find many of the Christian leaders are involved in politics uh, and watching the news and even you know, unfortunately, even sometimes supporting wars. I mean, when the war happened in Iraq, Ramsfield said, "I'm going to shower bombs on Iraq from the air, from the ground, from the sea," and he did. Uh, you know, I didn't hear one American pastor saying, I disagree. So, you know, everybody was supporting the war. Well, you don't have to support it. You don't have to be against it. You can just pray. Pray for the American government. Pray for the American soldiers. Pray for the Iraqi people. When your message is praying, when your message, I hope peace will happen quickly, then you are giving message from the pulpit and from satellite and from radio, that God loves all people. And God wants us to be peacemaker. And God sent Jesus Christ to die for all people and just communicate the gospel. And we can be brothers and sisters, Jews and Arabs, descendants of Ishmael, descendants of Isaac, through faith in Jesus. And we can be one family. Just focus on the gospel. Don't focus on politics. Don't focus on wars. Don't focus on land. <laughs> this is not your job. Yes, you can have your political views. Keep them to yourself. Share them with your family. But don't share them with the world. We want to equip believers because we have to focus on do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. Even if you believe that Muslims or Arabs or Palestinians are your enemy, you have a commandment to love your enemy. Special thanks to Sammy Tanago for sharing his story. His book again is Glad News, God Loves You, My Muslim Friend. It is a great resource. You can learn more about Sammy at gladnewsministry.com. Thanks also to Janice Todd at Moody Publishers for arranging the interview. I'm also grateful to Dr. Hamosa Shariat of Iran Alive Ministries for his input. We'll be releasing a bonus episode with some tips from Sammy that can open doors when sharing the gospel with your friends. Truce is a listener-supported show. Donate on Patreon, GoFundMe, or on our website at trucepodcast.com. Once you're there, you'll find important links related to this story, our social media accounts, and information about my book, Cradle Robber, and my films, Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls, which are now streaming on Amazon Prime and PureFlix. Roy Browning designed our website, and his company, JMC Brands, is now starting to assist with advertising. My friend John Wilkerson from the Wired Homeschool Podcast is helping me with social media. Our logo was created by Andy Huff. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Steren, and this is Truce. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture 
to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.